0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Data Perspectives podcast presented by DEMA New England. DEMA New England is an educational and networking resource for the data management community. And this podcast is DEMA New England's first initiative created with the intention of offering a practical on-the-go resource for extremely busy data enthusiasts like you and me from various realms and industries. I am your host, Nupur Gandhi, And I'm so thrilled to have Scott Taylor join us as our guest on the podcast for quarter three episode. DEMA New England is truly fortunate to have such a fun and engaged storyteller as a member of our New England chapter. Scott has an amazing profile and has numerous accolades as you can all imagine. To all those who may have had uh, Scott or hear him talk, you all know the energy and passion he brings to any discussion. And today, I cannot wait for you all to get to your Scott's funny witticisms, analogies, and numerous takes, better data storytelling and data management. A little bit about Scott. Scott, more popularly known as the data whisperer, has helped countless companies by enlightening business executives to the strategic value of proper data management. He focuses on business alignment and the strategic why rather than system implementation and the technical how. As a principal consultant for MetaMetting, he helps enterprises and tech brands tell their data story. And a business evangelist and original thinker, he continually shares his passion for the strategic value of master data through industry events, public speaking opportunities, blogs, videos, white papers, podcasts, cartoons, puppet shows and all forms of thought leadership his new book telling your data story data storing for data management is available now and we'll surely get into that in the podcast his long list of accolades are data iq 100 list uh, who's who in data management cdo magazine leading data consultant thinkers 360 top 10 a five times data marathon host DataVersity Top 10 blogger. Uh, He lives in Bridgeport, Connecticut, not too far from uh, where he often kayaks in Black Rock Harbor. And as if all his accomplishments were not enough, he can juggle pins and blow a square bubble. Oh my God, that's super creative. And with that, welcome to the show. Uh, so fortunate to have you on the podcast and I'm super pumped to get to experience and share your energy as well as unpack your career journey with our audience today. So without further ado, we'll get going into the podcast Q&A if you don't mind.
1: Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Great to be here representing the local chapter, my local chapter of DEMA. Thanks for the wonderful introduction and thrilled to just talk about data storytelling for data management.
0: Awesome. Uh, so exciting. And I have like an action for questions items. So I'll get going on those. Bring them on. Um,
1: We're ready to go.
0: That's awesome. So <laughs> from a corporate professional uh, to a podcast host, and then now you are an established data content creator. Uh, and of course, undoubtedly, you are one of the most funny, witty and innovative thinkers in data industry. So clearly from a corporate professional to to this innovative thing uh, that you do, you've pretty uh, come pretty far. So do you mind sharing your data story with all of us today?
1: I started off in the data business officially from uh, working with a company that's now part of Nielsen, but I come at it from the sales and marketing and strategy and literally what they would call today, the storytelling side. So. Not a big secret, but I'm not an actual data practitioner. I don't work with data. I help people talk about data in Uh a business accessible fashion. Having worked at Nielsen for 15 years, worked at Dun & Bradstreet for a couple of years, consulted for a couple of other leading world-class iconic data providers Gave me a chance to talk to literally every kind of company at every level of data maturity in nearly every category across the globe. So that kind of limits my experience there, but focusing on enterprises and what I did was help enterprise technical leaders, data leaders, IT leaders, articulate the value of what we were trying to provide for them, which is usually data management services from Nielsen or Dun & Bradstreet. To the business side, the services we offered IT people and data people, they understood right away, but they had trouble convincing the business. And so I would come in as this translator between IT, you know, try and represent almost the IT and, and data perspective to the business side of that same enterprise because I could talk to the business. I understood how to understand what businesses were trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I would be brought in in kind of these command performance uh, presentations. I love to do this kind of communication, as you can tell by the sort of content that I produce. And that content that I produce today, you said I've kind of went from a corporate world to this content creation. I always created content. It just used to be called something else, editorials or presentations or industry sessions. But I've always been a storyteller my whole life. I think I have a fear of not public speaking. So Uh I love to be on stage and also really get excited about using creative techniques to get people's attention, whether it's a puppet show or cartoons or something unusual that will capture the imagination, capture the attention and really focus on the message that we're trying to deliver, which at its very essence is. You got to have a data management foundation before you move anywhere else in technology.
0: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for uh, sharing your story there. I would like to build on that question. Clearly, at one point, moving on from the corporate ladder, you decided to take a leap on your own and create this data whisperer brand for yourself. So can you walk us through that time when you decided to actually take that? And we all know sort of that while there is joy in being your own boss, It comes with its own challenge, um, right? So can you share the learnings and challenges that came your way as a data content creator and how did you overcome them?
1: I'm having a ball right now. So I'm having such fun doing what I'm doing, but it was, as you suggest, a leap. So you Mm -hmm. go from this corporate world. And as I'd mentioned, I'd always been some form of representation of these brands. And so when I went out on my own, starting to look at LinkedIn, starting to see that people were actually going to go at and literally making a living creating content around the importance of data. There were three things I looked at right away. One, did I have a point of view that anybody cared about if I wasn't representing a brand? If you're Walking in with the Nielsen or D&B moniker, that definitely opens doors. People know those companies, whether Mm -hmm. you do or not. And that was an entree into certain areas. But now here I was just Scott Taylor, the data whisperer. Would anybody care? Did I have a perspective on the data space that meant anything when I wasn't representing one of these other brands? So quickly that became yes. Uh, The second thing was, could I build any kind of following? Did anybody really want to look and absorb and kind of react to this content on an ongoing basis? And through the wonderful world of LinkedIn, I validated that pretty quickly. And then third, because it's a business, could I get sponsorship? Were there brands out there who would support me to do the work I want to do? So I was able to check those boxes one, two, three, relatively quickly, which was pretty thrilling. Going back a little way to the point around the Data Whisperer brand, I just fell into that one day nice analogy to use. And now I've just gone in whole hog here. So, and as most people know, if they've seen me, there's no big spoiler alert here. I don't do a lot of whispering myself. We <laughs> save that for the data. Today, I'm working with tech brands. I'm working with enterprises um, and helping them really develop and amplify and share their data story for data management. We can get into the different kinds of data storytelling, I believe are out there. And provide what I call data evangelism as a service. How do you get people excited about the work that you do and that I've been in contact with that tends to be when you get the things like master data, reference data, metadata, MDM, RDM, PIM, dam all these foundational kind of activities that we know are so important, but business people tend to think those are rather dull, boring, clerical, back office, Why do I have to care about that, especially when compared to what is, quote, sexier side of the data and analytics space with data science, analytics, AI, ML. That's the stuff that gets, in my view, a disproportionate amount of the spotlight Mm -hmm. attention and certainly funding. They get a lot more funding than I think the data management side gets. Yet, none of that stuff works without the work that folks who belong to DEMA and are part of the data management community do.
0: Wow. That was perfectly laid especially it hit right bang on when you made the funding point, uh, right? That although there's a lot of funding on the data science side, um, it's really at the end of the day, it comes to being able to tell your story well. So that's great. For folks who don't know that as much, right uh, you do offer data evangelism as a service that's clearly a, a unique data service so to yes. say <laughs> you want to uh, enlighten all of a little bit about that
1: gartner will never do a magic quadrant on data evangelism as a service <laughs> but it's a way to get people excited so for instance just did an internal event for a bank in south africa the beauty of you know virtual delivery is um could just do it in my uh, office here not that i wouldn't love to travel over there But the purpose of it was the CDO was bringing his whole team in and they've got an ongoing series internally at this bank and they bring in the business side too. And it's all about reinforcing the importance of the data work they do. So I came in and did my hour or so, we took questions, I gave away a couple of books, but it was really to hone in on the importance of the data management side of their activities. And I'll speak at uh, conferences. I do keynotes at, at at various different conferences, whether it's a brand-sponsored conference or an industry conference. And and attitude of an entire room of people. So that for me is really thrilling. Sitting there, waiting on deck to go on, you know, to get introduced and go on stage, and looking at the whole crowd, going, "Okay, these folks are going to feel different in a mm-hmm. few minutes here." And it's really exciting to do that, to hone. And I work a lot on that craft. You know, how do you present? How do you make sure you got people's attention? Does the flow of this presentation work? When we talk about data storytelling, if you break that into three parts, there's the data part, which I really don't talk about that much because I'm not a data expert. I'm an expert on how people talk about data. There's the story part, which is how you put that narrative together. But then there's the telling part how do you present it? Are you capturing people's attention? Do they care? So there's a lot of different pieces to this whole area called data storytelling. And I probably focus more on the story and telling part, which are critical for any data leaders if they want to communicate the value of what they have to offer.
0: Uh, Data storytelling. To me, I literally read it like data storytelling, but Mm -hmm. uh, just... Understanding your logic behind it is pretty helpful. And I totally agree. Slick uh, is one of the most critical aspects there. So thank you for sharing that. I think I'm pretty sure this will resonate with a few folks here. So that's great. Having said that, um, in hindsight, I'm thinking about your profile here. You have a rich corporate experience prior to being a solopreneur and a data content creator, right? And now that we know what data evangelist is. I'm intrigued if your Nielsen, Dun & Bradstreet experience has lent itself to the role that you're playing as a data evangelist.
1: Directly, it was absolutely a direct line from the work I did at Nielsen and Dun & Bradstreet and with other companies to what I'm doing today. I had to frame what I was doing to make it more relevant to some broader themes in the data and analytics space versus representing a brand like Nielsen or Dun & Bradstreet. But that leap wasn't a very big one. And I focus on really, really, really basic stuff. Most people talk about where data ends up, analytics, dashboards, even the analytics data storytelling. I focus on when data starts, somebody has to, right? gotta look at where, where it starts. And you can boil my entire data philosophy down to three words, truth before meaning. You have to determine the truth in your data, which is what I believe data management does. Data governance, data stewardship, important activity that get the glory they deserve. But you've got to determine that truth in data first before you derive meaning out of it through analytics, business intelligence, data science, AI, ML, and so on. And it's not chicken or egg here. It's, you know, which one do we say? It is egg and omelet. If you do not have the truth, you will not get adequate meaning out of it. Really grounding it in just basic foundational words. personal technique I use to do the work I do is how few words can I use? Hmm. In this case, all right, I can boil it down to three words, truth before meaning. Everything I do, whether it's a puppet show or a white paper, is going to go back to that idea. And if you're trying to create content on your own or a personal brand on your own or understanding where your perspective is, it's good to hone it down to some really basic philosophical principles and stay as true to those as you can. There isn't anything in technology going on today that I can't bring back to the fact that you need great data management to make it work.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'm with you there. Uh, less is definitely more. And I think you've taken it to a whole new level by using that basic but such a powerful philosophy and incorporate in all your work. Speaking of that, it's a great segue into some great videos that you have put out uh, for folks to consume, right? I'm, I'm speaking about your put your data to work videos mm-hmm. and, and I've watched a few of them and they were quick, practical, and yet insightful. And I was curious how, if you can share some nuggets on how you do you actually put your data and metadata to work.
1: It's all focused on those core entities that companies all have to manage master data, reference data, metadata, and what those represent. Always focus on those kinds of things in the basic domains in master data, customer, vendor, partner. The holistic view is the data about relationships and the data about brands. And those two domains are critical to every single enterprise. You can't show me a company, it's almost a parlor game for me. Show me a company that doesn't have relationships, And it's actually a company that's out of business. If you don't have relationships, you don't have a business. Show me a company that doesn't have brands. And then I'd like to know what they do for a living. Because every company has a brand. And the purpose of a company is to deliver value to their relationships through their brands. So finding in these interview series that you're referring to, Put Your Data to Work, was one of my first attempts to just kind of get exposure as a thinker and thought leader out in the space on my own. And I went to a couple conferences and just set up on my own a couple of cameras. I had a mic. I was interviewing people, just getting their perspective. I was practicing. I did some common questions for each of these interviews embarrassed, but I know I've got this value sort of in the can here because I did 40 of these interviews and I only published six of them. But what happened was I started getting real work. So I didn't have the time <laughs> to, to but there, I've looked at a few of them recently and they're say eternally timeless, but these things were done maybe three years ago. And on purpose, I didn't ask topical questions. I asked general questions to a lot of these data leaders. And I've got a lot of these iconic data management folks on tape, and I plan to use a lot of this content, but it was really fun for me. And it was the the folks who got interviewed. And I was at three or four different conferences and tried to do a similar style and tried to make it a little bit more entertaining and had a couple of camera angles because I had multiple cameras there. But it was all a one-man band kind of technical setup. I do know the first interview I did was with the CDO of MasterCard, Joanne Stonier, if you know her. And she's fantastic. And she was at this MDM conference. And I was so thrilled to get her. And it was my first interview. And I played it back. And I didn't have the mic microphone on. So I lost it. I've got her video. I was like, of all people to practice on. So you learn some. Uh The technical techniques of actual production are really important. And so I learned an an unfortunate lesson on Joanne's interview that I better make sure to test my sound before I go too far.
0: That's awesome. And I'm so glad you shared all those vulnerabilities there. Folks might just see Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer brand, right? But it really boils down to us believing in ourselves, taking those small steps. MasterCard did a CDO example that you shared, uh, was truly enlightening one, right? Um, without us taking small steps, learning from our mistakes, um, you wouldn't get to where you are. Right. So thank you for sharing that.
1: And you're going to make those mistakes. So just like own up to them, find them, discover them. And especially when you work, like I do as a solopreneur, I mean, I do have a business partner, but Mm -hmm. I'm the only one who knows. So I right. i don't have to cover it up for myself. I go, oh, wow, this one didn't work right. Or this, I needed to do that. Or my lighting wasn't, you know, whether it's technical, whether it's an approach, whether it's an interview that didn't go, I really try and make this stuff as engaging as I, as I can. And so through editing, through other kind of dramatic techniques, that's the area of my own personal development is how do I get better and better and better at that.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. What do you think is really the best way to get C-level support and business stakeholder engagement, especially when it comes to data?
1: You have to focus on why it's important to that organization. As data practitioners, we tend to lead with how we're going to do something. Look at this new technique. We tried all this. Here's this API. Is it a data mesh? Is it a data fabric? Is it a data lake house? I will tell you CEOs, in my experience, could care less about that stuff. There isn't a senior business leader that I've engaged with that cares about how we're going to get something done until they understand why it's important and why it's important to the business. I kind of look cynically when people talk about creating a quote data strategy because it's the business strategy that we're really trying to enable. So if you're going in there with any kind of data program, you have to sh- why that work will enable the strategic intention of the enterprise. Where is your company going and why does data help you get there? The answer is always yes, in my view. Data will help every organization. We all know that, but the business folks don't always understand that. But you've got to focus on the why. You've got to focus on the business initiatives that already exist instead of coming up with Some sort of data-oriented thing that only works for the sake of data. Business. Every business got a lot of problems. They got a lot of problems. They got a lot of challenges. They've got a lot of things that need to get fixed. And we know that data can help every part of a company. It can help sales. It can help marketing. Help finance. Legal operations. Tell me another part of the company that can help every other part of the company. I, I don't know one. So data becomes this horizontal layer. That will help every part of a company. And if you do it right, you can actually help multiple departments with the same record if you've got a well-stewarded, you know, expertly governed customer master and product master back to relationships and brands. But think about getting in front of these executives. You got to know your stuff. You got to be ready to present in a compelling way. Your first couple minutes are the most important. So... I mean, I could talk all day on this and literally I wrote a book about how to present to business executives the value and, and, and power of data management in specific. But a couple of quick tips are you, you better understand your business and you better know what your executives are already talking about. Mm-hmm. And as a tip, I will tell you, your exe- your CEO is not talking about the need for data quality. They're not talking about the importance of data stewardship, those are means to an end. And if you walk into your board meeting and say, we need funding for this data quality initiative, if they're polite, they're going to ask you why. If they're not polite, they're going to say, why are we even in this meeting? What are you talking to us about data quality for? You need to answer that why beforehand. Know what data quality is going to enable in your organization and focus on that.
0: Great words of wisdom there, right? Um, I think that's the missing piece that most of us face, right? Or, or don't think about it as much when we talk to management or think of uh, preparing for a meeting or, or for sharing something with the management, right? And so bring a great segue to, to one of the pieces that I want to hit upon. And uh, you covered that pretty much about your great book, Telling Your Ada Story right? Uh, it clearly has an amazing feedback. And I think it's it's a great book that can be easily understood even by non-data ge- geeks, right? Um, so I hope so. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it was written that <laughs> way for sure. That, that, that's how the reviews say, and I'm halfway into it, so I can definitely vouch for that. So that's great. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm curious to know from your side, right? Like you hit upon this, but uh, just to elaborate a little bit better on this, right? why do you think it's important to tell a better story and yeah, like in any other tips that uh, you might want to share how to tell a better data story?
1: And when we talk about data storytelling, I look at it as data storytelling for data management versus the more popular data storytelling out there, which is probably better referred to as analytics storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's like 30 books by some great, Thought leaders, and I know a bunch of them, who have established this practice area around data analytics, storytelling, how to put data in a business context to drive action, visualization, how do you display it, what are these KPIs or indicators that will help accomplish a business objective? For me, that's all meaning. That's all analytics we need a second kind of data story out there, which is why managing data is important in the first place. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Why we need to focus and invest in data management and all the kinds of things, you know, every spoke of the Dembach wheel needs to get funded and needs to get engagement and support. And from this career of, doing that on a project basis or kind of a one-by-one basis with companies when I was at Nielsen and Dun & Bradstreet, I realized there were very common themes, challenges, initiatives, objectives across the enterprise space. And I dealt with a lot of folks in the data management side who had two primary emotions. One, they were really excited and passionate about what data management in particular can do for their organization. They understood it fueled all analytics. They understood it's all garbage in, garbage out, no matter how you slice it. Yet they were also extremely frustrated because people didn't listen to them. They weren't giving them the funding. They weren't giving them the support. They weren't giving them the engagement. And I listened to all this talk in the industry about data science, data literacy, It's like where's the voice of data management and all that i didn't hear it i didn't hear it declaratively enough i didn't hear it boldly enough and another reason for this frustration and something i pick on a lot is that analytics people i'll kind of bifurcate the space again just for dramatic effect you know truth versus meaning analytics versus data management analytics people tend to kind of put down the data management side put down data an example, you've got an analytics leader, and I've seen this over and over again. They get up at a conference and they say things like, you know, this data is worthless until we turn it an- into analytics, or our or, or, data is just a cost center until we add business intelligence. It's like, why do you have to be that way? Why does it have to be a zero-sum game?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've never heard a baker stand up at anywhere and say, you know, flour is worthless until I make it into bread. Because because they respect the ingredients. And and I call on our data science analytics peers out there to stop that kind of comparison. It happens constantly. The business side doesn't see that difference that we see. If you've got a, quote, data leader talking about how data isn't valuable until I put analytics on it, I am telling you, you are confusing your audience. They're going, aren't you data? What's the difference between data and analytics? I don't have the time to sit here and listen to this philosophical discussion about, you know, data, information, wisdom, knowledge. It's like we're talking to ourselves in that we're, we're mm-hmm. arguing in this data bubble and the business leaves the room going. These people can't even agree on what they want. We're on the same side. Data and analytics is the same thing as far as the business is concerned. And so on a bit of a soapbox here, but part of my inspiration to do the work I do, to write the book, to do all this other crazy content stuff was to help the data side really. Defend itself, not only to get business engagement, but. Unfortunately, against some of these analytics leaders who poo-poo the value of data on its own, when in fact, their work doesn't get done without the work we do.
0: Right. Wow. I'm glad you shared and explained why. Most often we hear the words like voice of customer, right? Uh, Voice of analytics, but really, I think you, you very well brought up this excellent perspective of voice of data management. And clearly, I mean, I've been in the data space for quite some time, but I think the voice of data management is really missing. So thank you for bringing that great perspective there. Wonderful analogy that you provided, right? I think it's going to stick with me for a long time. It cannot be worthless for making bread, right? I think even if we all appreciate that viewpoint and try to, in our own way, right, when we are in our own organizations think about it that way that is half this problem solved right if um and i stick up know. for us
1: all the time so i'll be the guy in linkedin who some big data scientist starts talking about you know makes one of those statements data's just a cost thinner until <laughs> i do my special work and i go no it's not what do you got to be that way for i i heckled uh industry analyst at a conference once, she was up on stage and she was talking about, she actually tried to get the whole audience to repeat after her. And she said, data is worthless until we, tr- it's not about what did she said. She said, it's, it's not about the data. It's about the information.
0: Mm-hmm. And she said,
1: okay, with me again, it's not about the data. It's about the information. And I'm in the back of the room and I just yelled, no, it's not.
0: It's not. <laughs> what? What?
1: So I don't mind sticking myself out there to be that kind of guy to wave the flag there. But that kind of debate, we are fighting against ourselves and we all have enough work to do rather than bicker about what's more important. Is it data? Is it analytics? What's more, you know, is it data science? And that's like, stop already. You don't hear other departments talk that way. That's the funny thing. If you put the word, if you replace the word data with other departments, they don't talk the way we do. Right. You don't have the finance department suddenly realizing, you know, what's important. We should focus on the business. <laughs> you don't have marketing people say we should really drive the business, but all we get LinkedIn is a primary source for a lot of the activity I monitor, but even at conferences, how much, how many hours and hours and hours do we spend as data leaders talking about this sudden epiphany we have about, we should really focus on the business. It's 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 mind-boggling.
0: It's awesome. No, I think I appreciate um, your take there, and you, you trying to be bold enough to state that because generally, as as you rightly said, it's generally analytics side uh, sort of trying to uh, say certain things, right? Um, and that's where the funding is. So it's sort of the data side, as you said, <laughs> uh, gets lower on the equilibrium. At the end of the day, uh, you know, we we uh, whole goal should be balancing the equilibrium, right, with both the data analytics side understanding each other.
1: So- yeah, I'm not saying one's more important than the other. I'm saying they're both important. Right, right. And that's kind of my impetus. It's like they're both important. We don't have to choose. It's not Sophie's choice here. We need both.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: focus on both. Right. However, you want to balance it, but don't make one subservient to the other. Right. That's not a. That's not a. That's not a realistic characterization.
0: Absolutely. And um, you've clearly, um, you know, seen all the sides of data management, be it just the data storytelling aspect, the, the data side or the analytics side, right? Um, and over the years, I mean, how have you seen, um, is there like a change in the golden rule of data? based on your experience
1: we all kind of go back we all learned on the first day of data okay it's garbage in garbage out but does that statement drive any action no it doesn't it's just you know the classic kind of old time data person sitting in the back of the room when something doesn't work and they go wow gigo there you go i told you again but we've got to find other ways to try and dress up that concept and and get people to embrace it but no at a certain level it hasn't changed it, it it's still dependent on that i smirk because i've been around in the data space pre 2k if you will and you <laughs> watch these cycles and you watch the excitement and kind of the the disappointment sort of cycle around on new initiatives and the newest hottest latest thing but when you peel it all back tell me it isn't you know it's always something around do truth before meaning it's always 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 the sources are more, you know, there's a lot more volume, velocity, and variety of data. Data isn't something you have to explain to so many people anymore because they're, every company is trying to use it and certainly is excited about it in some way. But going back, you know, Nielsen's been in the data business forever. Dun and Bradstreet's been in the data business for longer than forever. Data's been around, data's around before software. It was around before computers. It was around before electricity. There's always this foundational element to it. So this notion, again, of the golden rule of data, do unto your data as you would have it do unto you. I mean, it's as as constant as gravity. What goes up must come down. What goes in must come out. If you have an initiative, no matter what it is, that's based on technology, technology... Hardware, software, data, if you have data, you need data management. So the security of the role in data management, just speaking directly to our audience, you're Mm -hmm. welcome to quote me. It's data management is macro trend agnostic, no matter what the big things are we're talking about today, metaverse and web 3.0 and digital transformation, cloud and all that other stuff. No matter what they were five years ago, no matter what they're going to be in 10 years, if it's going to be based on technology, you're going to need data management. And these basic principles are always there. And every one of those new, fancy, exciting things we talk about, when you peel it back, when you look at what makes it go, you will always find these atomic elements of master data, reference data, and metadata. They're always in there. If you can't find them, send me one and I'll show it to you. But you will always find it behind the scenes. So know as a data management professional that your disciplines and your expertise are going to be needed everywhere. If it's if what you're doing is based on technology.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. Um, And speaking of uh, master data management and reference data management, I've seen a few uh, simple yet powerful ways of how you explain reference and master data management. Can you simplify what reference data and master data management would be in your own way?
1: Master data as the classic nouns of the business relationships, brands, customers, vendors, partners, prospects, patients, citizens. We have different terminology for what those are, but they're all relationships, brands, products, services, assets, materials, ingredients, locations, the things we make, the people we buy from and sell to and partner with, I think in the context of let's say rows and columns, master data are the rows, analytics are the columns. The columns are about the rows. And if you don't have the rows right, then you don't know what these other analytics attributes are about. And anybody knows taking two spreadsheets and trying to bang them together. It's really easy to add columns. It's really tough to align the rows. So you don't have the master data right. Those rows aren't going to align. Reference data, more of those standardized values that are used across industries. Really important to uh, use reference data first. See if your master data things are already in reference data. I'll give you a mildly technical tip because that means they're standardized across an industry. and You don't have to come up with, let me give you a really ridiculous example, a new set of abbreviations for states. Metadata, data about data, meta metadata, data about data, about data. <laughs> Seinfeld data is data about nothing. These, these core concepts, these are all things that every data management person should really, truly not only just understand, but be able to articulate back again to the organization in the right context. I've got a great friend who I met in the data space, who was an enterprise data leader across a global organization and a true expert in, in, in metadata. And his trick was, and I quoted him in the book, his name is Peter Kapoor. It was kind of like the fight club rule of metadata, which is if you want to work in metadata, don't talk about metadata to the business because they're not going to know what you're talking about. It's going to scare them away here. It's not something that you want to try and introduce or explain or sell to somebody until later. So his approach was he fed it into these business processes the business loved it, he went back and said, okay, that secret ingredient that made all that work, that's something we call metadata. So now this is why you got to fund this initiative, but he doesn't start with that. He doesn't start with what the ingredients are to use my other analogy. He starts with, don't you love this beautiful loaf of bread? Not we're going to use this yeast and flour. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it's just a lot of it's in the positioning. A lot of it's in, in, in how we articulate it, which is part of what storytelling is all about.
0: Well, no, that's great um, for giving actual practical tips and can keep going on and on. I, I can keep going
1: on and on. That's for sure. You know, I mean? so that's all I do for a living.
0: Sure. No, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I have so many questions in my head. Uh, what, I, what I especially uh, enjoyed uh, about so many of your content uh, on the web is that uh, you have mastered this technique of not only talking to C-level executives, but also making it appealing as well as engaging for a non-data geek or even a a small toddler, right? (laughs) And speaking of (laughs) which, it already reminds me of your red little hat hen story. Is there another version of Red Hat Hen coming up? And the the Little
1: are- Red Data Hen, right? So I read my grandson, who is now affectionately referred to in LinkedIn as Data Whisperer Jr.,
0: <laughs>
1: a book, uh, The Little Red Data Hen, which everybody should go watch on, on YouTube. But it's a cautionary tale about the lack of stakeholder engagement for data management. And I'll give you a, a hint. It does not end happily ever after. So as I mentioned, it's a cautionary tale, but it was fun. It was like, how do you take something that everybody already has an understanding of this little red hen story who wants to go make the bread and who's going to help me make the bread and the cow says no, and the pig says no. And I kind of retranslated that into who's going to help me manage the data or whether it's the puppet show I did with the CDO, the chief dog officer and the ITB who only speaks in buzzwords in their Dialogue back and forth, which the discipline for me was every line had to either be a setup or a punchline. So that was really fun. But they all have serious points when it comes to the importance of data management in an organization. So I try to have that depth in it. It's not just goofing off for the sake of goofing off. It's okay, how do I make this same point that's really important for folks in our community to make? I produce them in a way and it has happened plenty. It's absolutely gratifying for me when it's somebody says, okay, can I use this little red data hand video in a mm-hmm. presentation? Or my puppet show when it first came out, somebody wrote me and said, Oh, I'm presenting a Gartner. Can I use this? Like, yeah, absolutely. Go, I'd love Gartner to take a look at this. Shake up that world a little bit. But I find it, it helps amplify. It helps support people. It gives them a smile and it makes the point, which is really the, I think that's the part of the expertise I'm most proud of is can I do something kind of funny or goofy or, or make somebody laugh or smile, but actually also the serious points we're trying to make sugarcoated with this more entertaining approach. That's Nirvana from those two things overlap. That's when I'm really happy with what I've produced, but yes, there's more that coming. I'm gonna meet up with my grandson. We got a couple of
0: ideas. One of them is the Emperor's new dashboard. It's a great practical tip, and I know you've already um, given wonderful tips all over. We were just talking about making the point, right? Uh, I'm just curious if you were being given one minute with a C, CEO, how would you make that point, right? Any any tips on? Say if you had one minute to tell a CEO why we need focused efforts on data governance and data management, how would you leverage that?
1: I would start with some of the big things that are already on their mind. Have that in your head. When I was at Nielsen, we used to go to some very high-level conferences where you would bump into CEOs, business leaders, CIOs at a cocktail party. And I was there to pitch our stuff. I mean, they knew it. I knew it, they would talk to me, but you had to be able to really capture their attention. And I remember one CEO I was talking to were walking to a session. So I have as much time between, you know, wherever we were at lunch, walking with them to this other room. And he's actually not even looking at me. So I'm just kind of talking to him about what I know about his business. And what I knew about their business is they had just acquired two big other companies. And the service at Nielsen helped people align and integrate different customer masters. So I knew the names of the companies that they acquired. I knew the name of his holding company, obviously. And so I was talking to him and said, you know, what we really like to do is get the right kind of audience to be able to share with you ways that we could help you integrate all these different businesses so you could get a view at your corporate level. And I'll never forget, he didn't even look at me and he just hands me his card. Boom. It was just like, yes. So, you know, that's the sales side of me, sort of landing that particular conversation. (laughs) But the important parts of that story for people who aren't pitching data services at a conference are you need to be fluent in what your business is trying to do. You need to have the terminology and the language and the nomenclature that you're, I call it the vocabulary, Of Mm -hmm. what your business is all about to be able to speak that. Don't walk in there and saying, I want to talk to you about our latest data analytics graph hub fabric mesh we're trying to implement. Those are all words that are meaningless to business leadership. And if you're looking for where those initiatives are, what the vision of your company is, look at your own annual report. Look at your own company strategy statement look at what your leaders are saying the objectives of your company are and you will find none of them talk about data or very rarely they certainly don't talk about data quality and data stewardship but they will mention things like relationships and brands we're trying to be the premier partner of choice for our supplier community we're trying to enable this new customer initiative. I'm talking generically on purpose, but you've all got them. There's not a listener out there who doesn't have initiatives at the corporate level, at the leadership level that doesn't include relationships and brands. Know those and data is going to help all of that. So be ready. And another tip is be ready for yes. I had worked with a, a world-class leader at Nielsen and he surprised me one day. And he just turned to me and he said, what's the one thing I can do for you? It was like getting a genie, that genie bottle and rubbing it and say, you've got three wishes. What do you want? It's was like, I-, I want more wishes. And it was like, uh, I don't even know you. And I was <laughs> uncharacteristically tongue tied and just w- left that conversation so upset with myself for missing that opportunity. I stumbled mm. out something, but I wasn't ready for it. He asked me again, which was again, sort of like getting another genie bottle. And I was right ready with that answer because I thought about it. I practiced it, but I don't go into a big meeting like that without knowing what to say. If somebody says yes, okay, Mm -hmm. what else? What else you got to do? What's the, what do we do next? They'll cut you off. they, They get it again. I'm going on a little bit here on technique, but once they say yes, once they get it, This is a tip my father gave me. When you get the yes, shut up. Don't keep pushing that idea, but prepare yourself for success as much as you prepare
0: yourself for trying to
1: push through the failure.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. I think the last point really brought it home. As humans, we tend to always sort of focus, oh, what if this goes wrong, right? Um, But you are really making us prepared for the real big uh, situation in our life right what if they say yes right we should be thinking more around that positive perspective there so that's great so thank you for sharing that and these are truly practical tips that I can't wait to apply as, as I speak just within my team or to, to, to my management too and I'm pretty sure folks who are listening can apply the same as well so thank you so much Scott for sharing all your years of expertise and being candid here with us. Having said that, I'm pretty sure everyone here would be very curious to know, how do you keep yourself inspired, right? Does Scott Taylor, the data whisperer, lean into books, podcasts, or people for his inspiration?
1: I'm super active in LinkedIn. I run with a group of other content providers who are really fun. Most of them are on the analytics side but we've all kind of created this group. We all support each something I did not expect at all, but I built some real true friendships literally through interaction on LinkedIn. What's fun is there's a wide variety of, of a group. There might be 10 or 20 of us at a time sometimes, but they're all creative. They all produce things. they all have shows and podcasts and do events and so the is that we, we all create stuff. So it's, it's fun to kind of talk shop with each other about technical things, about approaches, about a brand we might be working with. And I find that kind of inspirational on the business development side, or just the technique side. In terms of the work I do and ideas I have, I have way more ideas than I can actually produce. And this is just me. I've always been a creative guy looking for kind of the fun or the, where's the joke in that? Where's the fun thing in that? But I also, because of so many years in data space, I kind of see through the conversations and see the importance of data management behind those. You Listen to CNBC and you listen to these, it's actually an exercise. Some of you might want to try. And you hear the CEO of some company talking about what they're going to do with that company. And more than half the time, I'll just like, I'll turn to my partner and go, well, that's not happening without master data. You know, whatever it is, it's just, (laughs) believe me, they did not say master data, but they were talking about some kind of customer initiative. And I get inspired by all kinds of stuff, whether it's a goofy kid thing, whether it's some cartoon that I remember, whether it's trying to do a parody of something that uh, I see and trying to take a data twist on it. My challenge is kind of Buckling down and saying, "Okay, I need to execute that idea." That kind of balance we have to we have to manage. So I'm fortunate that I don't have any trouble sort of finding inspiration. For me, it's nailing that inspiration down into something that's a deliverable that I can then push out or or, or use in some way. So I'm always finding inspiration everywhere.
0: Awesome, that's so great to hear. Um, and up next, um, I would like to ask one of my personal favorite questions. You've already given a lot of nuggets of wisdom here. Um, uh, any any final words of wisdom for the aspiring data enthusiasts listening to our podcast?
1: Just really stick to what, you know, I, I, let me back up a little bit. If you're in the data side, a piece of advice I give everybody in the data business is learn your business. Learn your business. Don't apply. Data is part of the business. It's not the other way around. And when we think about data, a lot of us in the data bubble think that data is the most important thing going on. And I know I was joking about, you know, okay, but it's about the business. You got to learn your business. I mean, the advice I gave my children when they went into the business, you can't, it's impossible for you to know too much about the business you are in. And understand it from a non-data perspective. What do you sell? What do you make? How do the goods that you produce, how does that product or service bring value to the end user? Is it manufactured? Is it delivered over the web? Is it learn the logistics, learn the operations side, learn your brand positioning, learn about the products and services you provide, the geographies you're in, the different go-to markets. When I was at Nielsen, a really fun approach, and I loved doing it, it was so fun to go to a company and how the stuff they made got to the people who used it. And in a supermarket, most people don't know this because they didn't work in the supermarket business. There's so many different ways that those products get to the shelf. And the more complicated that distribution, that go-to-market, the more data opportunities there are. And you will find them. So go in to learn your business. And if you move from business to business, you'll start to see these Trends, these themes, again, marketing, sales, operations, finance, data, IT, the challenges are really more the same than they are different across enterprises. So it's extensible when you look at it from a horizontal view, business at its essence is business and they could be very different externally, but at their, core, it's like people, people are still people. <laughs> and so you, you know, we got arms, we got legs, we got organs, we have emotion, and we are the more same than we are different. And the same thing with business, but you know, long-winded way of reminding people again. Learn your business as a data leader and you will find opportunities and you will be embraced by those folks who frankly need to give you the money to do what you want to do.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I'm pretty sure everyone Uh, will resonate with it no matter even aspiring data enthusiasts but non-aspiring ones too so thank you for sharing that um with that um i want to be really mindful of your time Uh, i'm so happy that you've spent so much time with us and you've actually been more generous with us today um so uh, we'll try to wrap this up a little quickly as much as we could Uh, so the last part we end our podcast with a rapid fire round Um, So I want to like ask you a few questions uh, and we can just uh, get to know the other side of Scott Taylor. So uh, I'll I'll get going on that. Um, Any management book or resource you live by?
1: I mean, I live by LinkedIn. I live by people's webinars, you know, to try and find what's going on in the data space because I focus on how people talk about it. I want to hear how people are talking about their data initiatives. So I'll sign up for a million webinars and I'll just listen to the first five, 10 minutes, how they set it up. That's the part I'm really interested in. I'm not interested in, sorry, all you tech brands out there. I'm not interested in the demo. I'm interested mm-hmm. in, okay, how do they characterize the, right. the nature of the market? And do they, do they even do that? Do they even bother to talk about the problems and challenges and what their service will provide? Or do they just jump right into the demo or an industry, you know, industry leaders as well. I love to hear how they kind of set that stuff up. So I'm constantly looking for those sources to uh, hear how people talk about data.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for being candid and bringing your own spin to that question. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, With that, the next question is, you don't feel accomplished until you? Until, in terms of
1: the work I do, until it really feels right to me. I will work way too long on editing a video because I'm addicted to timing. Does this work this way? Does it, you know, I've rendered this video and I come back and this little jump cut doesn't feel right. Or that word doesn't sound right. Or, and I love that. I mean, I love that part of the craft of just making something really sing and, whether I'm writing a blog, whether I'm doing a video, whether I'm doing a presentation, it's constant. It's like, all right, until I, till these things fall together. And then it's really fun to see, okay, if I move this from the back to the front, everything else makes much better sense. So know that of yourself too. If you were, you're putting a story together, it's not always that first draft or the sixth or the 10th sometimes. And on occasion, it'll be that last minute when you realize, oh, if I just move this from here to there mm-hmm. or I just cut this part it flows so much better and that's a absolute personal feeling of accomplishment for me when that when when the timing works so I don't feel accomplished until the timing works
0: wow that's so well said I cannot wait to apply it to my podcast editing and like re-listening <laughs> to some uh, videos and takes here so thank you for sharing that um yeah uh, I, I knew we are going to have a couple of laughs in the session and I'm already having multiple laughs here. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm loving already all of this uh, session, this that we are having. Uh, so the last question is uh, a fun fact about yourself.
1: I already talked about it in my bio. You already mentioned I can juggle pins. I can blow a square bubble. Something else I'm particularly proud of is I, I know my way around the night sky pretty well. I was always interested in astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy planets, phases of the moon, constellations. I've got a very wonderful telescope and I know my way around. It's fun because most people can pick out two things in the sky, the sun and the moon. I mean, (laughs) challenge me was like, pick out. My father was classic with this. He would go, everything looks to me like a dipper. I don't know which one is, but I know my way pretty well around the sky, constellations, different star names. And it's fun because then you start to it's similar to you know the need for master data and reference data and metadata once you can see these patterns in the sky these asterisms or even the full constellation you it, you never don't recognize them so that part for me and I'm always learning stuff because the sky's always changing and you're always finding new new views and and and, and, and new things there with a telescope or, or not even with the naked eye or binoculars. But I'm really that part for me is really fun. Just knowing your way around the sky. If you don't look up, you're gonna think you're the highest point. You gotta look up. You gotta see that perspective in a in a way and realize you're just a you know teeny grain of sand swirling around in this giant mass of of, of space out there. To get wildly philosophical, but it is really fun to know. Okay, there's Jupiter. There's Saturn. There's Mars. People go, "What? Really? I thought that was the North Star." No, that's
0: these are planets. So it's fun mm-hmm. to know your way around the sky. Wow, that's uh, we will need a whole another session just to listen yes. uh, and hear you talk about it. So we'll reserve that for another session. But thank you for enlightening us. Um, and I mean, uh, it's it's great. I, I'm definitely one of the persons who knows two things: sun and the moon. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> I can identify Mercury because it's red. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mars I- is
1: red. Mercury is particularly hard to see. So Mars is red. Saturn is out. Yeah there's Mm -hmm. two orange ones and two white ones that you can see mars and saturn are orange mars brighter than saturn and then jupiter and venus are white venus being brighter than jupiter but there's basically only four well five planets if you want to count earth but there's four planets that are easily viewable in the sky and once you start to see them you can recognize them everywhere
0: Wow. I didn't know I'm going to have some astronomy lessons uh, today. So thank you. A little (laughs) bonus for you. Yeah. Appreciate all your time. Uh, One last question before we let you go is uh, if the audience would like to reach you, what's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: Find me on LinkedIn. Please follow me if you like any of this stuff. I've got a YouTube channel as well. My website, metametaconsulting.com. We're about what it's about. No, we're not changing our name to Facebook, Facebook. We're staying MetaMeta. Meta.
0: <laughs>
1: but all those sources, if you want to reach me, DM me on LinkedIn is the easiest way. I am fairly responsive, but I got a great following there. And I always put everything I do new out there. And then all my other content sitting on my website with links to the stuff I do, the book I've got is Telling Your Data Story, Data Storytelling for Data Management, 99% buzzword free. That's the guarantee of the book. That's on Amazon. It's also on technicspubs.com, who is the publisher of the Dembock 2 as well. Particularly proud of, if you Google Scott Taylor data or you have Google the data whisperer right now, I finally come up above the fold. So after all these years of kind of organic content being pushed out there, Google has recognized my activity in some nicely structured way. So I shouldn't be
0: too hard to find. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing that. And cannot thank you enough for all the time that you spend, uh, both in prepping up for this meeting and with this podcast recording. We are truly fortunate, as I kept saying, and I cannot reiterate how much uh, fun I've had and as well learned so many good things and tips from you. And I'm pretty sure the audience listening to us Felt your energy and learned so many great tips. So thank you, thank you so much from everyone here. Hope hope you uh, had a good time as well. And um, oh,
1: thank you too. No, this was great. Thanks for having
0: me. Hopefully, uh, we would love to get you back uh, and we will uh, connect more on that. So thank you so much and have a great rest. And with that, I'm also want to thank everyone who tuned into today's session. Hope you all enjoyed it, and for unpacking more such data insights and knowledge sessions, feel free to join at uh, Data New England. And consider being a member of our DEMA New England chapter. See you again next quarter for yet another podcast episode. Until then, stay awesome.